Well, for those of you, I, I, I mentioned that we had a guest worship leader, but for those of you who didn't know, that was Rachel Kosa, who grew up in this church, and uh, she has one of those voices that you hear, and you're just like, ah, take a deep breath. Beautiful voice, and so thankful for her leadership and her, her commitment to serving, and of course, uh, the Bustamantes, who, who have given, who God has gifted them with such a beautiful gift uh, of, of music and, and instruments and desire to serve the Lord with using those. So uh, that was fun. That was, that, that, that's what we need. That's what we mean when we come together as a community where we can find encouragement in worshiping the Lord together. Well, today we're actually going to be starting a new sermon series that we're calling One Small Step. It's a, it's a series on evangelism, which if you think about the topic uh, in the context of our discipleship pathway, it's all about learning to serve others, right? Yeah, we, we know how to, we're learning to love God and we're learning to love others, but, but how does that love translate into action? Because love is supposed to be active, right? It's supposed to be something that's not just held in the, the quietness of our hearts, but something that, that flows out of us. And, and so this idea of evangelism is how God invites us to serve other people in this world. Now, uh, most of you, when I said that E word, felt a little shiver run down your spine, right? Most of us, myself included, experience a little bit of fear that bubbles up in us when we think about this idea of evangelism. Why? Well, I think, I think many of us are, are, are fearful of rejection, right? We're, we're fearful of how the world looks at us as Christians, and, and, and we assume that they, they look at us a certain way. They have a certain uh, understanding of who we are as Christians. Uh, they, we're, we're fearful of being people that, that people think are crazy, right? There was a popular song when I was growing up by Jars of Clay, which, uh, by the way, Toby Mack was kind of like the, the lead uh, um, musician in that group, and now he's, he's got a concert coming up in Hartford this spring, I think, which is kind of fun. But anyway, they had a song called Jesus Freak, right? It was such a popular song for the time being. And, and he, he basically just sang, I don't really care if they label me a Jesus Freak, right? There's this fear that people look at Christians a certain way. And so if you tell us that we're supposed to go out and tell people about Jesus, it, it, it invokes a, a little bit of fear in us, right? I think oftentimes when we think that, uh, we, we think about sharing the gospel with others, we think it's too difficult. We think it's, it, it's something that really, it's, it's those who have been trained in evangelism that should really be doing that because they understand the context of what it looks like to argue for the faith and, and to defend the beliefs of the Christianity and whatnot. And, and the problem is, I think that's a faulty understanding of what it means to evangelize, to share our faith. So I think there's a number of faulty ideas about what evangelism is and, and what it's not. And at the end of the day, I hope that we find encouragement in knowing that evangelism, the sharing our faith, is much simpler than we think, right? Some of us have this idea that, that sharing our faith it needs to understand the philosophical truth of, of, of the faith and how to defend it, and how, to, how, how, to, how the faith of Christianity stands in opposition to the, the secular worldviews that, that we deal with today. But I think there's a confusion there. I, I think that has more to do with apologetics than it does have to do with evangelism. Uh, apologetics it, it comes from a Greek word apologia or apologia, meaning to, to make a defense or, or an explanation for the faith. When Paul stood before King Agrippa at the end of his life and at the end of the book of Acts, we're told that Paul made an apologia. He made a defense of his faith. There had been a number of accusations made against Paul, and he stands before the king and makes 
a defense. He, he explains his actions and, and the things that he did. But evangelism is different from apologetics. Evangelism comes from the Greek word euangelizo, which is, which is a verb which means to, to bring good news. It's an action we take where we bring good news. I think what makes logical sense here, though, is that in order for us to bring good news, we have to accept or at least presume that there's a bad news that we're living in. See, evangelism begins with this appropriate assumption that there is bad news in the world. And that in the midst of that bad news, there is a message that we bring to others, that we, we enter into spaces and bring good news that, that lightens hearts, that brings hope, that, that gives an, uh, an understanding of, of the meaning of life and where people are going. Now, if you don't believe me, just look to Hollywood, right? The arts and the, the entertainment are, are filled with stories about bad news leading to good. Recently, I, I watched a movie, uh, Manchester by the Sea, and, and, and in that film, this young man's father passes away, and, and he's, he's, still, he's a minor, and so his uncle comes and stays with him, and his uncle leads a, a rough life, right? In the whole movie, I found myself hoping that the uncle will be a hero, that he'll step up and, and take care of this young man and raise him up as his own son, and, and, and that... I'm going to ruin it for you guys right now, so, so don't, you don't have to go, I mean, you can go see it if you want to, but at the end of the film, the uncle doesn't step up to be the hero, right? And, and you're kind of left feeling like in, in the brokenness, the, the, the sadness, the, the weight of the bad news of this world, the, the things that are broken, and, and yet you found yourself longing for a hero. You, you found yourself longing for the good news to be an answer to the bad news. Or think about the movie Braveheart, Right? In, the, in Braveheart, William Wallace unites the people of Scotland and, and ignites hope in them for a future. But how does he do it? Through the sacrifice of his own life at the hands of the English. Or maybe a more lighthearted example is, uh, is this clip of, of the kindness of one character putting his own life on the line against an evil dictator. Let's watch this clip.
Pipuchi. Pipuchi! Look how tempura! Kevin, so as you can see, even in Hollywood, we long for someone to step in, face the evil, and be a hero for us. Our world acknowledges that there is a good and there is a bad. There is a, 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 a righteous and, and an unrighteous. There is a good and an evil. And in the midst of our world, we recognize that this is not just something that we as Christians think about, but something our whole world considers, that there's a message that we long to hear. We long to hear good news, that there is someone who will step up and face the evil in this world and deliver the, uh, the hope that we long for. That's what, that's what evangelism is, people. Evangelism is simply pointing out the capital G, good news that we ourselves have found. It's not a matter of you knowing enough of the Bible to be able to, to explain someone through the gospel message alone. It's being able to point out the good news that you have yourself received in Jesus Christ so that others might hear of who Jesus is. Now, I don't know who first said, who first said this. It wasn't me, but, but I've heard evangelism described as one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread right? Think about that for a minute. All of us are beggars. All of us are in that place of bad news. We're, we're in this place of help, helplessness and hopelessness. There is an, a, 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 an unrest, a discontent with this world, and we really don't have the solution. We've tried. We've tried many different things, but we're still hungry. We're still looking for a solution, and it's got to come from outside of us. We're all beggars. And the good news, when we find it, it's something that we can show to others where to find it, right? We're all lost. We're all needing to find this bread. And, and, and what evangelism is, is when we find the bread ourselves, when we find that nourishment, the hope for our souls, we can point others to where we found it. And they can go find it for themselves. They can go experience They can go eat of the bread of life. See, evangelism isn't crafting such a strong argument for the Christian faith that, that you win the battle of an argument. It's not the, 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 the outcome of that argument that you want. It's the, the war for the person's soul. And so it's not, about, it's not about being better at arguing the Christian faith than the next person. Evangelism is something different than apologetics. Evangelism is telling others where you found bread that nourished your body and brought hope to your soul. Probably the, the perfect and most simple example of this is found in the Gospel of John chapter 4. And we've studied this passage a few times this year. It's the story of the woman at the well. Feel free to turn in your Bibles there. I'm going to read a few uh, verses from the passage. But, but let me give you a little bit of, of context to the, the situation. See, Jesus and his disciples are, are on a journey. And they cross through Samaria. And they're by the village of Sychar. And there's a well there. And so Jesus sits down by the well. And his disciples go into the village to find food and, and whatnot. And Jesus, while he's sitting there, sees this woman come up to the well to get water. And Jesus asks her for a drink. And, and she gets into this conversation with Jesus, wondering how he, a Jewish man, would speak to her, a Samaritan woman, right? Crossing certain cultural and social lines there that, that were uh, seen like, you don't cross this line. But in addition to that, 
They get into this whole debate about worship. Pastor Moses spoke on, on this passage a few weeks ago about what true worship is, right? But what I want us to notice is how faith worked in her life in the midst of this conversation with Jesus. Look at uh, John chapter 4, verses 39 through 42 with me. We read this. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Father, I pray that as we spend time in your word, you would give us courage, that you would help us to, to kind of, to, to, Lord, free us from the guilt and the shame of, of not thinking that we've been good enough at, at sharing the good news, where we think we're not equipped enough or, or, or smart enough. Give us courage, Lord, to acknowledge, to, to see our story, our uh, faith journey with Jesus as something valuable and meaningful and something for others to hear. Work in us through your word this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we think about this, this scenario that's going on here, the situation, I, I want us to think about how John uses the word believing in his gospel. 98 times in the Gospel of John, he uses this idea, he speaks of this idea of, of believing, right? Now, when we think about believing, when I say something like, I believe the sun is hot, I'm stating a fact about my faith, right? I'm saying, I have faith that the sun is hot. It's this momentary, objective aspect of my faith. There's nothing, nothing uh, kind of um, expanding or, or, uh, or um, changing about it, right? But in John's gospel, belief is always an action. He always uses the word pisteo in, in, in its verbal form. In other words, like I run, I sit, I, I, I smile. That's a verb. That's an action we take. Believing in the gospel of John is always an action. It's never that objective fact about our faith. It's never, I believe the sun is hot, right? It's always an action that, that someone is taking. And so to believe in Jesus, according to John, is this pro progression, this expansion, this deepening of, of the faith of the people that are drawing near to Jesus. In John chapter 2, verse 11, after Jesus uh, turns water into wine, his first miracle, we're told this. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. All right, so his disciples are there. They see him do this miracle, and they believe in him. Now fast forward 18 chapters later after Jesus has been crucified, and Peter and John run to his tomb, which is empty, and they stoop and they stare in. And there's nothing there but the cloth. And, and, and we're told that, that they believed. They looked and they believed. Now, what's happening here? What's, what's going on here? What's the difference between uh, the belief that they had in chapter 2 and the belief that they had in chapter 20 of the Gospel of John? So I think it's, it's this idea that, that faith grows, that, that, that our trust in Jesus expands and deepens and, and widens. 
This is why our, our pathway of discipleship here at Trinity is depicted in, in this infinity symbol, right? Because as we are loving God, as we're loving others, as we're serving others, we're, we're growing. We're, we're continuing to grow. It's this ongoing, eternal growth and expansion of our believing in Jesus. It's never a matter of, hey, I'm a Christian and here are the tenets I believe. That's true and that's appropriate elsewhere. But this idea that John is talking about is this this growing, ongoing faith that expands as we face various circumstances and situations and learn to trust in Jesus more and more. See, discipleship is not about gathering up a library of information about God. I mean, yes, it is in the sense that, that it's, it's the core doctrines of our belief. It's what we believe about God, and we want to make sure we have the right doctrines of the faith. But discipleship is more than just gathering up a, a library of information. It's it's actually being in this relationship where that trust is ever-expanding and increasing in Jesus, our Savior and the Son of God. So here in John chapter 4, I want us to notice something miraculous that's going on here. So God used the imperfect story of this woman at the well to lead many others to, in her town to faith in Jesus. Now I want you to think about your own story this morning. I, I want you to think about how you've come to faith. You don't have to turn to anyone, tell anyone. I want you to think about those moments that, that you're maybe embarrassed by, those moments that you're ashamed of, the, the moments that, that you probably don't like telling other people about, or, or those aspects, not even just those moments, but those aspects of your character, which you think, man, uh, how could God love me? Like, how does, how does, where does his love come from for me? Like, am I worthy of his love? There, there's an aspect where you too have an imperfect story. And God wants to use that story. In John chapter 4, verse 39, we read this. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. By the way, the first missionary of the New Testament is a woman. Ladies, this is your moment, right? The first person that God chose to use as a missionary in the New Testament is a woman. That's something noteworthy. And not just any woman, but a woman who was an outcast in her society. Her message that she shares was honest. It was Christ-centered, and it was enthusiastic. He told me all that I ever did. Right? She's not trying to hide anything. She's going into that town saying, this man told me all that I ever did. She's not saying, hey, this man told me all the good things that I did in my life, all the reasons why you guys should like me, because look what I did. He's saying, or she's saying, this man told me all that I ever did. It's all about Jesus. Look what Jesus did, right? Now, in this, in this message that she shares, I want you to notice two things that are going on here. I want you to notice what the woman said, and I want you to notice how she said it. She doesn't tell Jesus' story. She tells her story. Hear me out. Earlier in the passage, we're told a little bit more about this woman than, than what we're starting off knowing about her in the beginning of the chapter. Right? We know that this woman, she comes to the well at a time of day when, when typically women don't come to the well. It's hotter in the day. It's, you know, they typically would go to the well early in the morning when it was cooler and, and it wasn't so exhausting to, to carry these heavy jars of water. But she does so alone. 
She came by herself. Again, not customary. Customary was for the women to go together to the well, to to be together in a group. I, I think it's safe to say that this woman bears the weight of guilt and shame in her life and and has either experienced rejection by others or she's afraid to be around others because she's afraid of their rejection. She's she's afraid of what they're going to think of the life that she was living. And so when Jesus shows up and, and tells her all that he's done, he reveals to her the very things that she's trying to keep hidden, the things that she doesn't want others to know. Namely, that she's had five husbands, and and the man she's with now is is not her husband. But notice what Jesus does. He doesn't use that as a a way to kind of guilt her into action, to hold it over her head and say, you're you're a, a horrible sinner, so go get me a glass of water. He uses that as an opportunity to speak into her life. He uses that, in a sense, to, to verbally and relationally draw near to her and to give her a new life. So I think it's important that we notice that, that this woman is no longer trying to hide in her shame. I think this woman is instead courageously facing her shame. She's, she's acknowledging her past, not afraid of it, because of what Jesus has done to transform it. Secondly, I want you to notice how the woman gave her testimony. John used the Greek word martyrusis, which which is this idea of of testifying, but it's testifying in action. Literally, if we were to translate it, it's as she testified, as she told other people about Jesus. In essence, her testimony was this ongoing action. It described the character of her life and her personality. It wasn't just something she did. It was her life. She, she, didn't, she didn't talk about things going on in her life. She was explaining how Jesus was the source of the life at work in her. The, the, the change, the transformation, her new way of being was to tell others about the changes in her life and, and who was at work in her. There were no more facades, no more masks, no more showing up at, at, at synagogue and pretending to be better than she was or just pretending that everything was fine. All she did was show up with an excitement in giving God the glory. Can you, can you, imagine, can you imagine her walking around her, her town telling people about what happened in her life? I mean, maybe there were people who were like, wow, she's, she's crazy. Look at her. She's talking nonstop. Right? But others would say, look at this woman. Something's changed in her. Something's happened. Some, something's going on there. Something we need to pay attention to. The same woman who'd been hidden under her guilt and shame and who'd only go to the well alone was now openly talking about the very things that she was trying to keep hidden from her past. And here's the thing. The people of the town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony, because of what the woman was saying, because of the story she was sharing with them. Look at verse 29 and 30 of our passage. Come. See a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Church, our testimony, our our faith stories, our words point to Jesus. We each have a unique and special and beautiful story to tell. And those stories point people to Jesus. Right? It's not a matter of saying my, my faith isn't good enough or my story's not exciting enough. 
Your story tells something unique and special and beautiful about how Jesus works in a person's life to transform them. Sure, the Bible teaches us that, that, God for, uh, that, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? We all know that from John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God's love and salvation is for the whole world. He longs for the whole world to embrace this, right? But this also has an individual application. Because in John three sixteen it continues that, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but saved to eternal life. That, that whosoever has an application to individuals. Whosoever is not the masses, it's whosoever, individual people who are coming to faith in Christ. It is, so that whosoever is made up of, of our many unique and individual stories that point people to Jesus, that tell other beggars where to find the bread. Don't ever think that your faith isn't valuable. Don't, don't ever think that your story that God has been working in is not meaningful and valuable. There is someone in this world that needs to hear how you came to faith, what Jesus did to draw you in and take hold of your life. There are people that need to hear how God works in his life because God doesn't work in one person's life the same way he does in the next person's life. Right? We're made up of many different personalities and characteristics and gifts and, and pasts and, and situations. And God works in each of us individually in unique ways. And when he does, he creates a story that's unique and beautiful. And, and a story that points other people to Jesus. Someone needs to hear your story. There's no such thing as a boring testimony. There's no such thing as, as, as a story that, that's not as meaningful as others. I think, we, you know, as a culture, we've gotten to a place where we cheer on those really amazing life transformation stories and we think, that's what we need. No, that's not what you need. What you need is to experience the words of Jesus for yourself, the work of Jesus in your life for yourself. So I think God uses our imperfect stories to draw people to him, where they're able to hear that hope of Jesus for themselves, the hope that they've been longing for, you know, which is why we were talking about those movies in the beginning. We're all longing for good news. We may not know what the good news is initially, but we're all longing for it. And when we tell our story, we point people to Jesus where they can hear those words of hope for themselves. But when someone believes our stories enough to come and see for themselves who Jesus is, it's kind of like a chapter two believing. Only when we believe in Jesus because we've heard and considered his life and teachings for ourselves does our faith deepen and grow. Only when we hear his words and his life and his promises for ourselves, consider them for ourselves, open the Bible and consider what Jesus has done and said and declared who he was. Only when we believe in that for ourselves does our faith deepen and widen and expand and grow. Look at verse 41 through 42 of our passage. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. We've heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Church, one of the things that probably frightens us from sharing our faith with others 
is that fear of, of thinking, well, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't trust in Jesus? What if, I, what if I'm not able to lead them to a prayer of confession right here in the midst of my relationship with them? Let me say this. It's not our words that save people. It's not our story that, that, that transforms lives. It's Jesus' words that save. I think it's pretty bold of us to believe that we can convince someone to believe in the depth of their being in the Son of God. It's bold for us to think that we can convince someone to work in their lives, get their mind to think and rationalize about Jesus and believe. That's not our job. That's the work of God in people's lives. That's the kind of God we worship. God who will draw near to someone's life and work in them beyond their own reckoning, beyond their own ability to see and, and acknowledge. And that's his job. To lead them to this place of conviction and confession that, that Jesus is the Savior of our world. See, our words point people to Jesus. We're not the bread. We're just beggars pointing to the bread. And I shared with you all about a month ago how my grandmother influenced my faith. And when she passed away, I saw firsthand how her love impacted others. I, I found out for myself that it was God's love at work in her that, that transformed her and influenced her faith. And when she loved me, I, come, I came to learn that she was pointing me to Jesus. She was pointing me to the one who had given her that love. That love that was flowing through her and into my life. That, that, that love that sustained her through some very dark and difficult seasons of her life. My grandmother didn't save me, though. My grandmother pointed me to Jesus. And so it is with the Samaritans. When, when they speak to this woman, they're, they're not putting her down, saying, hey, your, your faith story turns out to be pretty weak. We, we found a better story. That's not, it. That's not what they're saying at all. They're actually saying it's no longer because of what she said. In other words, her story was a step closer to Jesus. Her story gave them a, a leg up, a, a kind of closer experience with the work of Jesus in their lives. And so it's no longer because of her words that they believe, but because they've experienced their walk, the, the Jesus' words themselves and believed in them themselves. For many of us, we may have a story of, of growing up, you know, coming to church, going to uh, Bible studies and things like that because of our parents or our grandparents. And we, you know, you'd oftentimes hear people say that, that I got to a point where it was no longer my parents' faith, but it became my faith. In, in many ways, you may not realize the impact that your faith journey, your, your walking with Jesus day by day by day has on other people. It, it plays a very important role role. So the woman's words drew the, the Samaritan village in like a, a lure on a fishing line. But it was Jesus' words that landed the fish in the boat. It, it was Jesus' words and teaching that he shared with the Samaritans over the next two days before he left that, that, that convinced and convicted their hearts to, to believe in him as the Savior of the Lord. Pay, pay attention for a moment how this work of faith works in people's lives. Pay, pay attention to the, the words that John uses in chapter 4 to highlight something I think is very Christological. In, in other words, it kind of theologically says something about who Jesus is. In John 4, 9, it begins with the woman questioning why Jesus, a, a Jewish man, is talking to her. 
right? How is it that you, a, a, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? John 4, 19, she, she calls him a prophet. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. First it's a man, now he's a prophet, right? Later in verses 25 to 26, she sees him as the Messiah. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Man, prophet, Messiah. Until finally in verses 41 through 42, Jesus is believed in to be the Savior of the world. Man, prophet, Messiah, Savior of the world. This, this growth, this progression to believing who Jesus really is. He's the Savior of the world. He's the hope, the good news that we all have been longing for. See, evangelism is not this one and done scenario. It's not where I sit down, lead someone through a Romans road, convince them to pray a prayer, and then they're good and we move on with life. Evangelism is a relationship. There are people in your world, in your sphere of influence, that when you build a relationship with them, it's not just so that you have the opportunity to, 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 to share the gospel in under five minutes with them. It's that you have an opportunity to build a relationship of trust with them. That, that when they hear you talk about your story, your life with Jesus, they too are drawn to consider Jesus' words for themselves. That happens over time. We need to understand that, that the relationships we build with people, whether it's you know, the person you, you talk to when you go to the bank or, or, or your neighbor down the street or your coworker or the family member, the relationship you build with them is important. It's not just about of the words you speak, but the trust you build with them and the time you spend with them, where, where they can see the work of Jesus in your life, where they can hear your faith story and consider the words of Jesus for themselves where they themselves will get to that place where they can say, it's no longer because of your words that I believe, but because of his words that I believe that he is the savior of the world. Now, in those days, savior wasn't a unique title, right? There was various Roman emperors that were given the title of the savior of the world. Uh, I think, um, well, I, I can't remember. I think Hadrian, uh, Caesar Augustus, a number of them had been, been called uh, saviors. But but what we have come to learn is that early Christians said, no, 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 no. There's only one Savior of the world. Key to their identity as followers of Christ was their confession, their testimony, that Jesus alone is the Savior of the world. Tell me, how many of you have seen a symbol like this? Can we, there we go. Right, what would you say is the purpose of that? Right? Is it to keep us accountable when we're driving down the street and we know that we've got the Jesus fish on, our, on the back of our car so we're not going to cut people off? I think it helps some of us, certainly, myself included. I don't have the, the fish on there for that very reason because I'm afraid of what people will think when, I, when they see me driving. This is called an ichthys fish, right? More than being a, a tool to keep us accountable on the road, this symbol came to identify disciples of Jesus in the early church because of what they confessed their belief about who Jesus was. They were fishers of men. The early church were people that were to draw people into the faith in Christ, right? And they did that by telling their story, and their story tells a story. 
The, the, the words ichthys are actually taken from the first letter of these Greek words. The first one, Iesus, Jesus. The second one, Christos, Christ. The third, Theos, God, which actually goes with the fourth one, Huios, which is the son of God. And then this last one, Soter, Savior. Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior, Savior of the world. See, there is, there is this reality that because of this woman's story, the people in the town of Samaria believed in Jesus for themselves. They didn't believe in the woman. Eventually, their faith went from trusting her words to trusting in Jesus' words that he was and is the Savior of the world. It's a growing and mature faith. This doesn't happen overnight. You know, when we read it in the Bible, it seems like it happens like that. But it takes time. It's a progression. It's why we should value relationships with people outside of the church. That we have circles of influence that, we, that we're a part of, that we can build relationships with people in, where we can build up trust with them, that we can begin to talk about our own faith story, parts that we probably want to keep hidden from people, right? Our past, which we're ashamed of. You don't need to be ashamed of because Jesus has transformed it. He, he's washed us clean and given us a new life reason for us to, to, to be Christ-centered and excited about the gospel at work in us, just like this woman was as the first missionary of the New Testament. I want you to think about this for a moment. The reason why these people came to put their faith in Jesus, why they heard his words and trusted them for, him, for himself, was because this woman had the boldness to say, come and see for yourselves, this man who told me all that I ever did. You have hope this morning because someone pointed out to you where you can find bread. Someone pointed out to you where you can find the hope of life. It may have been a parent or a grandparent. It may have been a childhood friend who invited you to church. It may have been an ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend. Whoever it was, they shared a story with you. They shared the story of how Jesus was working in their lives. And, and, and then it led you to seek out Jesus' words for yourself. Maybe you're in the place where you are, are here because of someone else. Someone that you trusted. You, trust, you said, wow, your life is changing. And I don't know why, but I want to understand it. Well, look beyond their story. Look to the words of the person who's transforming them. Consider the words of Jesus yourself. Because as you do, a, a miraculous work happens in you. Because the God of all creation enters into you and transforms you as you believe in him and transform uh, you from the inside out. So, so church, understand something. Discipleship begins with one small step. It may not have been your step. It was someone else taking one small step toward you and telling you about the Jesus that they have come to see and know. But that discipleship continues where you draw near to Christ. And now you have the opportunity to tell someone, come and see this man who told me all about my life. Here's, here's a challenge for us. So I think we as a church, we as a society, we've become antisocial, right? We, we hide behind our screens and our phones 
We, we busy ourselves with things that really shouldn't make us busy. We become too busy for time for other people. We, we, we become lost in, we've lost our ability to disagree with others graciously and compassionately. We seclude ourselves to, to our tribe, the people that think like us or talk like us or act like us, the, the people that agree with us about everything. And, and if they don't agree with us, watch out, right? We've we become a, a society that wants to cut people off way too easily. This needs to change. The Samaritan woman didn't have one husband. She had five husbands. Do you think she felt like she fit in with the others in her village? I'm going to go ahead and say no. I don't think she did because I think if she did, she wouldn't have been showing up at the well all by herself. But this woman shows us what can happen when we step outside, when we socialize a little bit, when we, when we don't seclude ourselves out of fear of what other people are going to think or say when we tell them about what's happening in our life. This woman teaches us what happens when we meet with and talk with people who are different than us. See, we need practice having a real conversation and a real relationship with other people. Last weekend, we had our, our, our first brunch together of the year, which will be happening uh, every month on the second Tuesday. It was a blast, a lot of fun. Do you realize that that was evangelism training? That was, that was probably one of the best things we could have done to equip one another to go out and share the good news. Why? Because we shared a meal around a table, having conversation with people, sharing stories, getting comfortable talking with others. Next month, go find someone you don't know and sit with them. Share a meal with someone different. Mix it up. But know this. It's not just a meal. It's an opportunity for us to encourage and grow together as we gather around that table. After church today, we're going to have our first coffee hour of the year, which has been a long time coming. More opportunity to, to connect with people, to continue in your worship, to relate to other people, get to know someone new. This is all training for evangelism, learning to talk with people. Listen, I, I, I'm an introvert. I, I don't love walking into a large crowd of people and, and trying to start a conversation. It terrifies me. But that doesn't mean that, that I have to go into a big crowd. I have to look for one person, one person to go and talk to. One person to get to know. One person to introduce myself to. Getting to know others and, and learning to converse with them and relate to them is such a valuable thing for us to do as a church. Who knows who God will put in your path and, and how he'll want to use your redemptive story. You have a story to tell. Maybe you need to think about that story a little bit. Maybe you need to... to to take some time reflecting, looking back on your story to understand how God has been at work in it, what moments he used to, to transform you and change you. Maybe you need to, to acknowledge those people that God used in your life to, to draw you closer to Jesus. Maybe it's a time for you to think on what are some of those verses that, that challenged you and convicted you and, and really invited you into a deeper faith in Christ. Maybe you need to consider what your story is, but you have a story to tell. I'm confident of that. We all have a story of how God was at work in our lives. Church, God uses our imperfect stories to point people to Jesus, where, where they can believe in his words for themselves and know him as savior of the world. Good news is at work in your life. You found bread. You found bread. You need to show someone else 
where to find that bread, right? You don't have to be that bread. You don't have to convince them. You don't have to defend your faith. You just need to simply tell people about what Jesus has done in your life. Point them to the bread. Connect it to the lives of the people you already know. I mean, there, there are people in your life that need bread. I mean, and you know what? You may show them where that bread is. They may not really think much of it. They may not pick it up and, and chow down on it. But that doesn't, that doesn't matter. I mean, it does matter, but that's not your responsibility. God's just calling you to tell people where to find the bread. That's what evangelism is. We don't need to shy away from that. We don't, we don't have to be afraid of, of, of how that's going to go. I'm not, I'm not telling you to go out and find some stranger to share your story with. I'm telling you to go out and get to know someone. Build a relationship with them. Build up trust with them. Your story is still being written, and it continues to point people to Jesus, but only if you tell it. Our stories are meant to be told. And, and I'm telling you, you have some good stories. You may not think that. I don't think, I, I've for a long time thought my, my story's not that big of a deal. But as you talk about your story, you realize more and more how God can use it and wants to use it. He wants to redeem your past for his kingdom and for his glory. And he can if you let him, if you tell other people about your story. Church, God uses our imperfect stories to point people to Jesus where they can hear his words from themselves and come to know him as savior of the world. So go tell someone. Go tell someone how Jesus met you while you were in hiding and how he transformed you and has given you a new life. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you are a re redemptive God, that you, that you purchase us when, when we seem when we feel like there's really not much to purchase. Lord, the, the, our, our, give us eyes to see and ears to hear the beauty of the story you've given us. That it's not just a, a historical account of what's been going on in our lives, but, but it's a story of how Jesus, the God of all creation, is at work in us and through us. So Lord, we pray that your, your work would be evident to all around us. Give us courage, courage to, to, to recognize those moments where it's you, Jesus, at work, and give voice to that, to tell that story. Give us gratitude, Lord, for the person that first took that one small step toward us to point us to Jesus, to say, hey, Dan, come and see this man who told me all that I've ever done. Lord, give us gratitude for that person. Help us to remember who that was, to celebrate their faith. And Lord, in honor of their faith, to turn around and, and invite others to come and see this Jesus who we've found. So Lord, we glorify you. We praise you for that. Have your way in us. We pray in your son's name. Amen.